Hi, my name's Shelley Flett. Welcome to the Dynamic Leader Podcast, where I share insights, experiences, successes, and failures with leaders from across a broad range of industries and business structures. I maintain that each of us needs to be open to sharing our experiences and making the leadership playground safe enough to fail, to grow, to have fun, and ultimately become more dynamic. So please sit back and enjoy. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another Dynamic Leader Conversation. Um, So this week, what we're talking about is values and um, how values play out in the leadership space and how leaders can really utilize the values of their business and their organization to to have um, conversations with their team and really connect to the behaviors that they're expecting of their people. Um, And so for today's conversation, I have invited the principal and owner of DJ Smith Group Chartered Accountants, um, Darren Smith. Thank you so much for joining us, Darren. Hi, Shelley. How are you going? Thanks for having me. Excellent. So um, just a little bit about you, Um, Darren, you have um, had this business um, for a number of years. How long, how long has it been exactly, you know, since you started up? Yeah, 2008, I left the city um, in another partnership in the city. In 2008, we came out to the burbs, so to speak. And so what, 12 and a half years, this will be our our 13th year that we've been here in this, um, in this format. So yeah, it's been a while now. And, and prior to having your own business, you were in, you've been in accounting for a, a number of decades, haven't you? Forever, forever. It seems straight out of school. I came straight out of um, year 12 and went into the profession. So that was, I'll just say it was back in the 80s and, uh, and, and been doing it ever since. So, yeah, it's been a while now, but um, thoroughly enjoyed it and, and worked through um, smaller mid-tier firms into the big four, spent some time in the big four, and then got, got into smaller firms after that and then progressed into, into partnership. And I think the smaller firms I've probably enjoyed more just purely because you, you get that closer relationship with the clients and, and you're dealing with, you know, look, it's small to medium business. Some clients can be quite sizable, but it's, it's, it's typically family businesses and um, and that's where I've enjoyed it. It's where I've focused pretty much over the years. So, yeah, it's good. What I've noticed in the time that I've known you, Darren, is that you're not the typical accountant. <laughs> you, you're really great at, at conversation and um, and uh, you're a bit of a big picture strategic thinker. Are you a little bit of an outlier in your industry? Oh, look, yeah, people do say that. But I, I guess accountants probably get a bad rap. Because I, I, know, I know plenty of accountants that are like myself and maybe that's because over the years, wherever I worked, we sort of, um, we gravitated to each other perhaps and we thought similarly. So, you know, yeah, look, I'm, I'm probably not your average, but, you know, there's plenty of us out there that, that have a personality and can hold a conversation. And that's what we want when we're dealing with our accountants. We want to know, you know, how can you help us and, and what does the bigger picture look like? Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, I think you you have to you have to look at the big picture. It's not all about detail. Accounting can be a lot of the time we report historically. We report on what's already happened, and and that's great, and that's why we call it compliance because you've got to do it. But the real value stuff is in in looking ahead. What does the next ten years look like for you? And and interestingly enough, I've had a lot more of those conversations and a lot more clients focusing on that space just in the last month, probably since we've come out of this pandemic. I'm not sure if that's the reason, but all of a sudden people are saying, I need to see what my superannuation looks like or what does my next 10 years look like and things like that. So, yeah, the the big picture stuff is, it's and it's more enjoyable too. So mm-hmm. it's good. I, I see a lot of parallels between uh, accounting and leadership. You know, I, I see a lot of um, leaders who also get, caught in the detail and and fixated on where they are right now or where they've been and you know one of the things that I work with a lot of them on is you know what is your plan for the next two or three years from a leadership perspective and where do you want to take your team to so I see there's a few parallels there yeah well we're a small business as well so um we sit here and we give everybody else advice but I'm also running a small business and and I've got 
seven other staff, which you know I have to make sure that they're motivated, they're engaged, and and they're doing the best work that they can do, because that's that's what goes out to our clients. Mm-hmm. So you know I'm I'm entrusting them. It's my name that's on the door, but I've got seven other people that portray our business to the public. So you know if they're if they're not bringing their A game to the table, then that reflects on us. So you've got to find a way to, to make sure that they're all engaged and committed and we're all sort of heading in the same direction. Yeah. So given the experience that you've had working in larger firms and then smaller firms, yeah. how have you seen leadership change from, you know, organisational size but also over time? Yeah. In, in the big firms, I guess... You don't you don't see the leadership so much. Not like I would, you know, I was junior to senior sort of accountant in those years, and and the leadership is coming very big picture. That's from the guys right at the top that you have very little access to because it's such a big organisation, and a lot of the time in those organisations, you can just luck it if you get a really good manager, mm. and that manager can guide you through, and you can learn a lot from it. Um, if you luck out and get a manager who's not a great leader, then you can you sit there and you're not engaged and it becomes a difficult environment. In, in the smaller firms, I think you, all the accounts have greater access to the leaders, and that is the owners of the business. So it, it becomes a little bit easier, I guess, from a staff point of view mm-hmm. to, to be engaged because the person that you're looking for has that absolute vested interest, has skin in the game and all that sort of thing. So I think from that point of view, yeah, it's a little bit easier for the Mm. staff. Yeah, absolutely. And have you seen the, have you noticed how leadership has evolved over the last couple of decades? I think about, I think about leadership when I entered the workforce and what it is now, it's completely different. What have you seen? Yeah, what, what was leadership? back then and I don't know I think I think part of it was was a technical ability like the whole the whole soft skills type um, thing has really developed and more so over the last I don't know 10 or 15 years that I've seen but yeah if you if you go back further um, your leaders I guess inspired you by with their technical competence and that's what you were sort of looking for. But I guess I was fortunate enough in my earlier days, and I worked with some really good um, accountants, both technically and also some really good people, people persons, or however you want to put that. And, and I think what I managed to do was take a little bit from each of them and, and sort of mould that. But I think in the last 10 years, we've really had to change our way of thinking because there's just so much information out there and there's so much of this soft skills type learning, and people are people are just so informed now, and we know so much about what other people are thinking and, and what the right and wrong thing supposedly is to do. So I, I think very conscious now of um, of what other people are thinking, and and how how to treat people differently rather than just go well this is my way, and this is the way this is the way we roll but people learn differently people react differently mm-hmm. and um, some of that I've, I've got from yourself but um, we certainly have to be more in tune I think with what each of our staff and how they work but also with clients and, mm-hmm. and how they how they absorb information and that's really changed over the years for sure yeah I I totally agree with that. And I think, you know, from a leadership perspective, if you're adapting and, you know, working out what's what motivates, what demotivates, um, how people learn, how to get the best out of your people, your your staff really are a representation of your broader population, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, and, so, and our staff, our staff are all cross sections of of society from yeah. you know. Um, age-wise, we've got, you know, varied. We've got um, uh, cultural. There's differences culturally with people. So all of that you have to 
you have to factor in. I think the the biggest thing that I've that I've probably struggled with, and or I've, I've noticed that I've really had to adapt to, is you just have to be so careful in the workplace now with what you say to people, and and how it can be misconstrued. And, you know, and and I think back to to years gone by, and the conversations you had were very different, and could be could be a lot blunter. I, I think one of the one of the sad aspects I find of it is that um, if if staff dress well, you like to compliment them and say, "Look, looking, you know, you've dressed well or whatever for a meeting." But I wouldn't I wouldn't say that to a female employee right. because you just don't know how it's going to be construed. And I think that's sad. I think that's yeah. just a real shame because we're taught to encourage good behaviours and, and everything. But but if it's a physical appearance type thing, you've just got to steer clear of it. And I think that's a that's a shame. So, yeah, that disappoints yeah. me. I, I have no insight on that. I also try to steer clear of it as much as I can. Even being female, I'm really careful about, you know, what is it that... Um, yeah. And I think being really curious about understanding where different people are at and noticing when you have said something, I think that's the key, you know, it's not because sometimes I have said things that uh, are not appropriate and often with different cultural groups and I'll pause and I'll go, uh, what's just like, what have I, what have I said? Like, how would I say that? Or is that wrong? Or, you know, being um, very curious with the other person around how would I address that? Or is that actually okay? And what do you think about that? And so um, I think it's being careful, but I think if you're sort of curious and open to it, you can have good conversations around that, can't you? You can. And, and, And it's difficult. You've got to find where the line is because I'm a naturally curious person and I like to, it's part of our role. I like to find out about people and, mm. and things like that. So, but you've just got to be be pretty sensitive as to as to where you're going. But yeah. you know, it's yeah, you find the line. Yeah. And I, I think when I was younger, I'll probably you know push the line and cross the line a few times for sure. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm far more conscious now of that sort of thing. So, yeah. yeah. But with your clients, it's it's a slightly it's a slightly different environment. It seems, it seems strange because it's your role to, to gather information and, and find out what they want to achieve and where they're at in life and, and those kind of things. So you're digging, in some ways, you're digging deeper with your clients than you can with the people you work with, mm. so, which, is, which is strange, you know, really. So you, the people you work with, it's an everyday thing. So it just generally comes through observation. Rather than rather than direct questioning, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So thinking back around, you know, not just how leadership has changed, but how performance has changed. You know, and our measures around performance mm. is, you know, um, I, I guess way back when political correctness and that management style was in, and leadership wasn't really at the forefront. Is we human human beings were seen as um, a way to uh, execute a task and they were kind of just seen as a bit of a widget, as a bit of a, you know, you're a resource and how do we get the most out of you? And so when, you know, performance was being managed, it was being managed on metrics. So how many, you know, how fast are you going? Um, What have you achieved? Uh, What are your billable hours? And those kind of things. Um, was there much in the behaviour realm when, yeah. when you sort of first entered or was it? Look, I think accountants are probably, we're one of the last of the party in that, in that space. Like we still measure six-minute units and, and things like that. So forever that I've been in the game, it's been about your chargeable hours, your recovery rates. So it's statistical and because that's what accountants do, they measure numbers. Um, and if you can put it on a graph, then that's great. And that's typically how we've measured performance. Um, we still we still do that, I think, yep. because I don't think we know, we don't know any other way and we don't trust any other way to a degree. So hence, we still do timesheets. Now, some accounting firms have got away from timesheets and I'd, I'd love to get away from them at some point, but it's just a massive leap of faith. Mm-hmm. So... 
So we're one of the, the last ones to the party. But I think when you sit down and you have that discussion and you're evaluating performance, you have to try and look at, at the broader aspects and how happy are your clients and what's the feedback we're getting from clients and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, the things like net promoter scores, which have now come about and everybody seems to be using net promoter scores, you know, how do we rate in that space? And, and sometimes that means going that extra yard and, and, and we do that we go you go that extra yard knowing that you're not going to recover time mm. but you're going to have a happy client and that sort of we need to we need to change our mindset especially in accounting and that way so yeah know, we have to if we're going to change in order to change the mindset we have to then almost evaluate it and sort of mm. say look I accept that you, your hours are good and your recovery is good but I also see that you've got a really happy client base and you're doing the right things with clients and you're going the extra yard. So that's that's the difference, I think, and that's evolved more over time. Yeah. And I think one of the challenges that, you know, business leaders have um, been faced with is metrics are really important because if we're not measuring it, then um, we don't know what our success yeah. is. We don't know how to improve on these things. So I think metrics are really important, but more today than ever before it's about um where's the the balance you know this balance scorecard concept so we've got the we've got the metrics we understand the performance we understand how productive or efficient someone is being we also have a metric around or you know and quite observational and this is kind of where we get into values is um what are the behaviors um and it's a little bit different from net promoter score because net promoter score will look at the behavior between um, an internal um, resource and an external client versus, well, what's the, what does the internal culture look like and what does the organization look like culturally as a collective unit? Um, and this is where we start to measure behaviors. Yeah. So, you know, you, you could have someone that is wonderful with your clients and delivers all the metrics but isn't a team player. Yep, yep, yep. And that's, and that's hard, like, because externally they'll present really well and the clients will go, oh, XYZ is really great, looks after us fantastically. But internally we might be going, XYZ is a bit of a, a problem to work with because that person doesn't relay information they make the rest of our jobs harder or whatever. So, yeah, there's there's the two aspects to yeah. it, and I really, you know, it's hard to it's hard to teach. You've just got to try and continually get that point across. And mm. sometimes you you know you focus on the external and sort of making sure that the client's really happy and all that, and you forget about the internal. And sometimes we have to to bring it back in and say, well, hang on. Do you realise that you've done a great job but you've made somebody else's life a little bit harder? Mm. So communication becomes becomes key. And yeah. it's not it's not always what it should be. Mm. So that's that's always a that's a, a constant challenge mm. so to try and get that level of communication where it needs to be. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I would say, um, and I often do say that every single leader on the planet should have communication on their development plan as a rolling uh, item because <laughs> I don't think we ever fully get there. I think that things are changing and we need to continue to evolve and um, communication is always needed. Oh, it's a, it's a constant challenge. And especially when, when we're the leaders, like we're busy, we're constantly busy whether it's going from one meeting to the next meeting to another phone call or whatever yeah. and I find file notes like for us it's all about file notes so after a meeting you've got to you've got to prepare file notes and it goes on a system so that everybody can see it and ideally you tag somebody and they can go in and see what's what's happening but if I don't do that then my staff member that also because every client deals with at least two of us in here mm. then the other staff member doesn't know what's happened and is not aware so and that they can then make it can make them look silly when the client rings up and they don't know the discussion that I've had and vice versa yeah so yeah it's a it's a constant challenge and I know that um I can be guilty of it because we just get busy and we're going from 
from one to the next. And if I ever look at my my daily to-do list, there will always be do a file note from yesterday's meeting. And and sometimes it stays there. And I've got I've got a couple here on my desk from meetings last week that still need file notes. So yeah, and mm. that's that's how we communicate internally. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're trying to continue to be efficient. We almost need, um, you know, one of those dictation apps where you can just speak into it, converts it to text. It is, it's in there. It's faster that you can type and. Yeah. Try it. Done. <laughs> try, I tried all that. Yeah. Tried all that. The, the biggest problem I found with the dictation apps was I'd have to rewind, sort of go, yeah, what have I said? Because I would lose the flow. Yes. And, yeah, fair enough. That. So, yeah, just, yeah, tried it. But horses for courses. I, we tried that. 10, 12 years ago, you know, the old dictation machines and things like that, but never really, never really worked. So. They have they have got better, Darren, I can promise that. <laughs> oh, I trust that they have. Yeah. I'm a little bit, a little bit like to be progressive, but that's probably a little bit old school yeah. in that one. So, yeah. So um, so I I think about um, and you know, one of the one of the things that I do talk to leaders about is how do you move away from the conversation around this is the way I need you to do, this is the way I need you to be, this is how I need you to say and move more towards the these are the values of the business, this is what this is what we've all signed up for in working in this organisation. And I'm really, I know you've got values uh, in your business, but I imagine that you didn't always. I imagine there was a time in the early days where it was just you and your own yeah. values. yeah. Yeah, and most of my working life has been that you didn't have you, you didn't have a set of rules even to come back to and 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 ground you. So, um, and I think that's the development of, of this kind of stuff over the last ten years or so. And it's probably I know it's probably seven or eight years ago now where we sat down as a team and came up with what we wanted to do as far as what we stood for and and what we wanted to portray. And for us, we developed a mission statement. We've since refined that mission statement a little bit further. Um, and that's all about building relationships and providing solutions and, and things like that. Um, but we also needed, we needed four key principles to sort of to bring us back to, to a central focus. And, and we wanted it to mean something. And so for us, it was basically all about care. And, and we took the C, A, R, E. And it was about commitment, accountability, respect, and excellence. Mm. And, and in all of those, there's a little bit of a, a screed, but it's internal and it's external. You know, it's commitment to clients. It's accountability to clients. You know, it, it's treating clients and employees with, that you work with with respect. And it's bringing excellence, you know, every day or, or the best you that you can be. So that sort of came back to us. So we can simplify that and, and to us. We talk about care for the clients and that encompasses those four principles. So that becomes, it becomes ingrained after a while. It certainly, it does with me because I live it and breathe it and, and it's my baby. Um, but, you know, you have to, you, you then have to get that with your staff so that they, they are totally on board with it. Mm. So, yeah, and it, we're getting there. We're getting there. And so you, you transition, what I noticed was we sat down together and we came up with the things that we were going to commit to and that we were going to live by is very different from um, this is my business and this is how I want you to do things and these are my expectations. And I think the, the benefit of having a core set of values for a business is that when Darren's not in the business or when Joe's not in the business that... Um, everyone knows the standard ways of behaving and the, yeah. you know, that, that care is not just for the benefit of Darren. It is for the benefit of all and that everyone's part of that. That's a big shift. Yeah. And look, it, and it was at the time, you know, we, we were a smaller team when we brought that into play um, and we just, we just thrashed it out and we had some really good input. As to as to what it all meant, and it yeah, it sort of came about um, fairly quickly, but it it was good, and we walked away, and we all felt really comfortable with that set of principles, and that stayed. There's been no reason to to change that or work with that. And I'm I'm really happy with it. I think it 
it encompasses what we're trying to be. Um, so it's then just a matter of, of everybody else buying into it. And yeah. it, it's interesting now when um, we recently employed a graduate. So going through the, the interview process with the grads, um, they've researched your website, they know all about it, and they'll come in and they'll sit down and, and they'll quote it all back to you. You know, I see you stand for commitment, accountability, respect, and excellence. So they they know it. Um, and I think it, generationally, um, the younger generation coming through, they want that. They mm. want to see that. So they want to see that a business has these, these principles and what you stand for. Mm. And, and that wasn't something that was relevant 10, 15 years ago. I wonder how much of that comes from the the schoolyard. I know when I was at school, I don't know, I don't even know whether we had values at school, but I know that with all of my kids, you know, they've been to a number of different schools and each of them have their own set of yeah. values. Um, and I wonder if it comes from from there, like it's just this intuitive part of, I don't know, belonging and, and being part of something bigger. Yeah, look, school, yeah, schools are good at doing that um, and they've certainly got better. I know, yeah, like when I was at school, we had a Latin phrase. I couldn't even tell you what it was now. But <laughs> if, if you didn't know, you know, what was the Latin phrase and, and what did that mean again? But you knew it and and you knew that that's what it meant and that was your school. So, yeah, but yeah. schools have got schools have got even better. Yeah. And they've expanded it, I think. Many years ago, it was just a short Latin phrase. Might have been three or four words. Now it's a, it's almost like a set of principles. Yeah, and you know the students know it and they know how to live by it. And um, you know, respect is, I think, one that pretty much every school has. And yeah. and what does yeah. that look like? And so it makes the transition into the workforce a little bit easier. Where you go, well, I might not know a lot about the skill and all of that kind of thing, but I understand the importance of values and I understand the importance of being able to. Um, commit to those and live by them um i i see that as a as a really huge benefit of the younger generations coming through yeah oh, look they're far more advanced in in those what i'll call the soft skills mm. type area and i look my attitude to to recruiting is is very different now to what it was 15 years ago and and now it's sort of like get the right personality type and train them. And whereas before it was all about have they got the right technical skills, have they worked on our you know, the software we use, do they have experience in that? Mm. Now, that's secondary to finding the person with the right attitude and the right fit. So, so, you're, so you're hiring against your values, whether you do that um, yeah. consciously or unconsciously? Well, I think you do. It's very hard to to judge in in what might be what two two short interviews that might be forty five minutes an hour at best um, to to form an assessment on that. So yeah, it's I I sort of look pretty deeply at the resumes and, mm. and try to look at what they've done. Um, in the past and things like that and, and there are certain things that I like on a resume that I sort of place um, quite a bit of value in and, and some of that's you know part-time work and getting you know getting yourself through school and uni I thought is always good it, it shows a good work ethic um, yeah. I've always liked team sport you know in in a resume I think if somebody's played team sport then then that's another angle um, but yeah generally I, I think you know, family background is another one that that you look at and sort of go, okay, I like the family background, the family dynamic, and things like that. So, yeah, you're trying to you're trying to make a judgment against your principles based on the way they've lived their life and and mm. you know their their upbringing. So, yeah. don't always get it right, but mm. yeah, you get you get better at it. Look, I think I've I've pretty much got it right since I've been since I've been going that way yeah what I like about that is you know there's a lot of uh, not a lot even but sometimes I'll have conversations with leaders who are just fundamentally unhappy with where they're at and what they're doing and you know often I'll run through a value solicitation with them so I'll 
find out, you know, what are your, what are your values in re- relation to your yeah. career and what do you want? Um, and so, you know, they, they come up with their top five through a bit of a process that we go through. Um, and then, you know, you run through and you go, all right, well, are your values currently being met at the moment? And, um, you know, where there's a no, the question is, well, could, can you do anything about it? And if it's still no. And often it's, mm-hmm. is this the right environment for you? And so I like the concept of hiring with values in mind because, and for the benefit of both you as the employer, but also the person coming in as the employee, if you can find someone whose values intrinsically align, it's, it's good for everyone. Yeah, oh, yeah, sort of people theoretically should get along a little bit better, but it, it doesn't always work because you need you need some sort of diversity in a workplace. Like if everybody's the same, they're all just going to clash. Like, you know, if I, if I employed seven other people like me, we'd never last, you know. You can't, you can't all be the same. So you don't. I haven't consciously tried to get a lot of different people over the years, but it's just that's sort of how it's evolved. And yeah. I think, um, yeah, we've got, we've got, as I said before, quite a diverse workplace. Mm. But, you know, the majority of them have been here now for, for quite a while, 10 plus, couple, you know, a couple of the 10 plus years and seven or eight years. So, you know, they've been here. They know each other. Um, they know theoretically how to how to work with each other but we've got we've got there um you know some of the work we've done with you is to how best to work with with different people and it is quite different so yeah it's it's good to have a little bit of diversity yes yes and i think um i think it's where you can have the diversity but still have the alignment in and you know it's not it's not a perfect alignment but it is you know if if my highest value is around flexibility and um, that isn't part of one of yours and perhaps the environment that you work in means that, well, we can't be as flexible as you want. If that's, the, if that's my number one, then it makes it a little bit easier to know whether your organisation is the right one for me if that's yeah. the highest thing that's of importance. And so yeah. um, the fact that you have them on your website i think is is really good for both clients as well as um as well as you know your potential employees in the future yeah oh look i think and there's still i, I talk with accounting firms but there's still accounting firms who won't put their staff on their website because they're worried other accounting firms will poach them <laughs> so you sort of go well that's a bit narrow-minded you're never going to grow um, and that, and yeah, you've, as I said, you've got to promote your staff because they become the face of your business. Yeah. So, yep. you know, when, you, when you've got like, what would we, you know, 100, 120, 130 client groups, um, I can't be the face to every one of those client groups. Yep. I'll have an idea what's going on and I'll talk to most of them at some point. But they're, you know, in a lot of cases, their main point of contact will be one of our guys in the firm. So they they need to know who they're dealing with. Yeah, and yeah. It's it's up to our guys then to to form that relationship with the client. The client might come to the firm because they've met me and they know me or whatever. But it's then important for these guys to form a relationship as well. Mm. That will will live or die based on those relationships that they form. So. Yeah. So, so thinking about the conversations and in line with your values, and I talk a little bit about you know having values-based conversations, and that is, you know, you're you're doing what you need to be doing from a work perspective, um, mm-hmm. but you know you've made a commitment to someone that you haven't then followed through on, and yes, you got it to them eventually, but it it hasn't really. Uh, upheld our value around commitment and accountability and even yeah. probably excellence yeah. is how do you bring your values into those kind of conversations? It, it, makes it, a, it makes it a little bit easier because you've got a reference point. Now, one of the things we all struggle, we all struggle with that difficult conversation. Like, you know, nobody likes to have the difficult conversation. So 
if you've got a reference point to come back to and say, well, perhaps you haven't quite um, embodied commitment in that or com embodied accountability, it, it's a little bit easier conversation to have because you can come back to that reference point rather than just saying, look, you really stuffed up there because you didn't get Shelley's tax return to her by Friday, like you said. That sort of becomes quite... Um, not personal, but, but very detailed, you know, very um, one-dimensional. Whereas if you can come back and say, well, look, you know, we've got to be accountable. If we say to a client we're going to be accountable to this extent, then we've got to live that. We've, we've got to, you know, live up to it. So I think mm. it becomes a reference point. And, it's, and it's, it's an easy one because you come back to it and say, well, this is, this is us. This is what we stand for. And we've got to live these principles. And we took that a step further and, and came up with a list of, of 10 not negotiables yeah. in the practice. And, um, you know, we, we all try to, to live up to, I know they're not negotiables, but, you know, sometimes we fall down on one or two of them. But, but they become aligned to our core principles. You know, and it's around timing, returning phone messages, timing, sending emails, responding to clients and emails and things like that. So... They're the kind of things that that help us live up to our core principles. Mm, absolutely, um, and what I like about the difference in conversation is where you're not aligning to values. Um, it it can create some uh, defence. You know, if someone if you're having a conversation with someone and you know, why didn't you get it out? At, this time and you've let the client down or you've done a crappy job or you know, it can it can sometimes get a little bit personal yeah uh, or send someone into a really defensive position and then they're closed you you can't actually do anything correct yeah you also find that you you can be inconsistent in how you apply it as well mm. so it's sort of like oh but it was okay last time when when i took three days to get the job done, but now you're saying it's not. So, yeah, it's all about, well, if you told the client last time it was going to take five and you did it in three, that's okay. But if you told the client this time you're going to get it done in two and you took three, it's not okay. And why is it not okay? It's because that's the accountability function. Yeah. So commitment and accountability, you you know. So that, that brings it back in, you know. So... One behaviour can be all right in one circumstance, but it won't be in another point. But the common the, the common reference point is your core principles. Mm. So it makes it easier rather than rather than being ad hoc and sort of going, you didn't do it right this time, which as a leader can can be really difficult because every day when we walk in the door, we feel differently about what's going on. We have grumpy days or we have good days or whatever. So You've, you've got to be careful that you're consistent with the message you apply. Mm. So, you know, as some people say, you walk in the door and take a deep breath and just go, bang, game face on and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's a, little bit, that's a little bit harder because you just be the same person every day. But yeah. if you come back to your core principles, then you take out the inconsistencies in trying to apply and you take out how you feel on any given day in, in evaluating what's actually been done. So, mm. yeah. And so I'm curious about whether you allow the values-based conversations to run both ways. So, um, you know, where you can have a values-based conversation with me where I haven't done what I've committed to doing. Mm. So you hold me accountable. Is it then okay? Because we've come up with these values together is it then okay for me to go, hey, Darren, um, you know, that commitment you made to me last week? Uh, yeah. Um, it's easy for me to sit here now and say, yes, I'd be totally comfortable with that. Um, and, but I know in the past when I've sat on the other side of the fence, I've been quite defensive mm. in my approach. And I, and I still am. I'm still, I'm still very defensive um, to, I'll say, criticism. Um, but I think I would, I would openly encourage for that to happen. That that's next level type stuff, and that's mm. really really difficult. I, I get it a little bit. I get it a little bit, but um, I don't. I probably could be held to account a little bit more from my staff than I am. Mm. Uh, 
there's that's probably a personality type thing as well. So, um, you know, is that, um, do you see that being a, a bit of a theme with leaders who've been around a long, you know, been around a while and hierarchy was always so important and kind of because of my, because of my role, because of my position, it kind of entitles me to a little bit differently to everyone else. But today, actually, it's, well, if it's good for you, it's good for me. Um, how, how, do, how do people that are still, um, I guess, half in that old, older mentality, like, what, do you have any advice on how, how they might transition or how people who have those as leaders might approach it? Um, it it's a difficult one. I think if you've... I, I get a lot. I get a lot of feedback, let's say, but I have some. I have some excellent discussions with with my children, who are adult children in their in their mid twenties now. And one of my daughters works in HR, in in quite a big company, um, and it's a male dominated field that she works in. So she's um, she's very quick to to tell me when I'm when I'm not applying things correctly or if I'm if I'm seeing things the wrong way so she's very quick to point that out so I've actually learned a lot in seeing things through her eyes Mm -hmm. and we've had some some quite spirited discussions we don't always agree but um but we have some quite spirited discussions so I've learned a lot through this I think you you learn from that younger generation in how they see the world and how they see leadership and management and all those things so i think that's that's the thing you've just got to you just got to open your mind to so many so many avenues and there's so much information and knowledge and training courses and online videos and that that there's no excuse for for not looking at some of this stuff if you if you need to find a way on how to approach it Mm. so and i think i come back to you know the difficult conversation thing. I think for for somebody to walk into my office and say, well, look, I, I don't think you embodied our core principles in, in how you dealt with that client. And there's, I'm sure there's been times when I haven't, when I, I haven't been totally accountable or or whatever, or I've, you know, perhaps not shown the respect that I should have to a client for whatever reason. They got me on a bad day or whatever. Um, but it, it would be very difficult for a staff member to walk in my door and, and pull me up on that. Mm. And I just think that's that's just the way it is. I don't think that's because, because they're not in that space or because I'm a different sort of person. I, I, I challenge anybody who, who says that they would, you know, walk into their boss's office and, and pull them up on, on things. There are people who do it, but they'd be mm. a minority, absolute minority. I, um, I, I do think, you know, I think about before I left the, the corporate environment that I, I had a team who, who actually did that um, and it, it hurt. It actually, it really kind of puts a dent in your, in your armour and, um, and they had to hold, they had to really hold the space. So they had to reflect back to me what I'd been, you know, um, saying of them. You know, they, they spoke to me about, Shelley, you, you want honesty. You want us to be um, open and communicate and for us to all improve I'm giving you this and how you're reacting is just going to close us down. And so, you know, some of the best conversations I've had was them really holding the mirror up and going, what do you actually want from your team? Because you're saying one thing, but it seems to only be one way. Um, and, you know, I, I love the people in my team who, who said that and I still remain in close contact with them today because yeah. of the, the value, but there, there is a way to deliver that message, and they did it with they did it with love, and they did it with compassion and, and kindness. But they were firm; they kind of held the they held the space. And so, I think there might be a little bit of a an art form in in doing that. That would be that would be an interesting one to to do, sort of like one of your almost like your client journey maps. Like, I'd love to know what the discussions they had amongst themselves were before one of them or two of them or whatever were delegated to actually confront you and, and talk mm-hmm. about that. Like they must have 
had some really interesting discussions amongst themselves and must have been an element of fear and, and how do we tackle this? I think that mm. would have been um, interesting to understand the dynamics of that. Yeah. Yes. For me, I think, I, it's, I think it's a little bit about self-reflection as well. You have to sometimes pull yourself up yeah. and sort of say, well, okay, maybe I didn't live that and, and whatever. And I'm probably... I'm fortunate enough in that my wife works in our business, as you know, and and I guess if if I'm not um, embodying our our principles, she'll probably be able to tell me before anybody else will. So I've probably got a little bit of a little bit of a regulator there in some it, respects. Yes, yeah, yeah. So a little bit of an inside voice. I I would say to leaders though, and you know, curious about what your thoughts are, is if you're not sure whether your staff are or whether your staff think that you are aligning to the values that you've all committed to um, is to ask them <laughs> really openly and, you know, yeah. get their feedback. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that would make it easier, definitely easier if you invite them to, um, to have that conversation. They've still, they've still got to take the step and sort they of do. go, I still, you know, and, and tell you what they think. So you've opened it mm. up and you've opened yourself up a little bit, I guess, mm. um, which is positive and, and perhaps that's the best way to approach it. Um, and look, there'll be, there's a lot of different ways. Is that, is that in a group environment? Do we sit around and have all the staff in, in, the, in a room over lunch and then open the floor and say, tell me about it? Or is it a one-on-one over mm. a coffee, you know, yeah. across the road in the cafe and, and say, now tell me, you know, where do you think I've got it wrong? And that might be different with different people. Like I said before, different people learn differently, different people react differently. Um, some might be okay in, in the comfort of the group. Others perhaps won't challenge in the group. Mm. So which ones are which? And, and who do I have the coffee with? And who do I open up in, in the meeting room with? Mm. So, um, yeah, that's... I guess that's something that I'll consider and take on board and see how open I am um, to that to that uh, feedback. But yeah, that, yeah. It, it would be very it would be very powerful. Mm. Yeah, and I think um, you know values based conversations, conversations in general, it's it needs trust, it needs really open communication, and so um, you know I think if you're if you're open to that um, and ready to to embrace it and, you know, show a little bit of vulnerability. I'm only human. I'm going to get this wrong sometimes. That The only way is forward, really, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, look, and I'll openly admit that I don't, I don't get it right 100% of the time. Yeah. So, um, but we try to minimise the times we get it wrong. And that's, that's the key. I think, yeah. look, we, we have a pretty good track record around here of getting most things right most of the time. And, you know, the occasional slip up might happen where there's just a little bit of carelessness, you know. And when I say a slip up, it's the little things. It's not even about, it's not about getting your tax return wrong or whatever. It's, it's about spelling your name incorrectly or, or little things like that. Yeah. And um, they're, they're the things that, that have a massive impact on clients and their respect and how they feel about you. So, yeah. Um, yeah, we, we, was, we once lost a client because um, she felt that we continually referred to her husband and not her. And when, when we sent the Christmas card out, it was addressed to Mr. So-and-so and not Mrs. or, you know, things like that. So that was, that was her perception. And, and for that, you know, perhaps we got it wrong. So yeah. it's, it's, very, it's very different. So, yeah, it's the little things that, that can make a real, a real difference. Like yeah. I think we're, we're all pretty good, you know, in the accounting field, we're all pretty good and we've all got checks and balances to make sure we don't, we don't have major stuff-ups on, mm. on how we do your accounts and your tax and all that sort of stuff. And our advice is usually generally pretty good and checked and all that sort of stuff. But it's the it's the little things. It's as I say, it's spelling your name. It's mm. it's um, you know knowing knowing your children's names or no all those little things that yep. that have such a big impact on the relationship. 
Yeah, huge, absolutely huge. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I think that's a really good um, note to to end on is, you know, it's about if you can get it right most of the time and you're having those conversations and you're being open to, you know, what's important to different people and that it's not always the big things, it is the little things um, that, you know, that's, that's what matters, that's really important. Yeah, exactly. And as I say, for us, it's, it's all about we're, we're, we're the trusted advisor so we sort of have to be, it's a little bit more than the guy you go to to you know, get your shoes fixed or whatever. Yeah. Some of our clients are entrusting us with their deepest, darkest secrets. And yeah. you know, we, we, know, we know where all the skeletons are. And, you know, yeah. we, got, we got clients that you know, the wife says to the husband, what do I do if something happens to you? And the husband says, well, well you go and speak to Darren. Yeah. So, you know, but we're, we're the trusted advisors. So yeah. in order to maintain, you don't maintain and, and keep those relationships if you get the little things wrong. That's Absolutely. A, it's a lot about getting them right. So, yeah, focus on, focus on a lot of that sort of stuff. I'm, I'm big on that and making sure that we're dotting I's and crossing T's for sure. Absolutely. And I can definitely vouch for that in the time that I've known you. So um, thank you so much for, for joining me on the podcast. Uh, it's been a pleasure speaking with you as always and love your insights and views. So thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Shelley. It's been fun. It's, um, it's been interesting. And yeah, it's always, it's always good insight and just good to, to chat about these things as well. Absolutely. So, so anyone that wants to connect with um, Darren, I will put Darren's LinkedIn um, profile in the comments. So definitely connect in with him. If you are looking for a new accountant or someone that can, you know, have a good conversation and talk to you about strategy as well as get into the detail, then um, yeah, I definitely vouch for DJ Smith Group as well. Uh, but thank you all for listening and I look forward to our next conversation. Take care. Thanks again for listening to another episode of The Dynamic Leader. There is no better time than now to work through your leadership and people strategy, to establish what the future might look like for your business and how you might empower your people to help you succeed. It is through building the capability of your people and reducing their dependency on you that will keep you moving forward at pace and will see you remaining relevant in the future. I have worked with over 100 businesses across almost as many industries and seen firsthand the challenges that come with employing, engaging and managing staff. If you're looking to improve how you lead, why not reach out for a conversation? In the meantime, thanks so much for joining me and stay awesome.